Thank you for listening, and we hope this message will strengthen and help you in your walk with God. You know, and the beautiful thing about uh, Christians Unite for Israel is the fact that in 1997, when Vicki and I went to Israel for the very first time, there was more than just a visitation for us. There was a mantle imparted on us. Our pastor has a great heart for Israel, and we knew that we received the mantle at that particular time. So we've been in 97 and 2007. In fact, I've been to Israel six times, and uh, I have another trip planned to go in 2023. One of the things that happened here through one of the fellowships that they have with Christians Unite for Israel, if a pastor has the, uh, a relationship with a rabbi, they ask the two of us to study together for the next 12 months. Well, I've been in great relationship with a rabbi who recently moved from Columbia, but I'm still in good relationship with him, and they tapped us, and we've been studying the Torah like we have before. And uh, he has spoken here, and I have spoken at the synagogue, and uh, we have a great relationship. Well, as a result of that, they're giving us a free trip to Washington, D.C., and our wives this year, and they're also sending us free to Israel next year, 2023. And wonderful. So we will be going back to Israel, and it's great to go with rabbis because they, you know, especially Rabbi Yossi, he was a, uh, he, he uh, uh, was born in Israel. He knows the Hebrew language very, very well. He grew up with the Hebrew language. And some of the customs of the Old Testament are very enlightening to be with him. But why do we support Israel? Well, the main reason why we support Israel is because what Jesus said here in John 4, 22, he said, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Do you realize there's only two books in the Bible that wasn't written by a Jewish person? And that was Luke and Acts. Those are the only two people that weren't Jewish that wrote the whole Bible. So it's because of the Jewish people that we are able to get the Holy Scripture. So we, we are thankful and uh, so thankful to, to the Jewish people for uh, protecting the Word of God and allowing prophecy to be fulfilled. And then here in Romans chapter 15, verse 20, uh, 27 says, And they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings... So are we a benefit of the Jewish spiritual blessings? Absolutely we are. Our Savior's Jewish. They owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. And right now there is a major exodus leaving from Ukraine, going back to Israel. And one of the things that Christians United for Israel has done, they have raised $4 million in the last six weeks to help bring uh, uh, Jewish people from in, uh, uh, Ukraine back into Israel. And you say, well, what, that's not a very big deal, is it? C certainly it is, because many of them are coming, and all they have when they get off the plane is what they have on their backs or in their backpack or maybe a carry-on luggage if some of them have that. And so that's what we're supporting. We're supporting helping Jewish people get back to their homeland. And we're going to see here in the Scripture why that is so important. But the Lord said to Abram, Abram after Lot had apart from him. Look around from where you are. This is the promise of the Jewish people, the beginning of it. The north and the south, to the east and the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. 
And we never need to forget that we are, through Christ Jesus, are the seed of Abraham. So the Lord said to Abraham, look around. And then it goes on, it says here in Genesis 15, 6, and Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. This is why we call Abraham the father of faith. He took this word from God by faith and as a result, his faith made him the righteousness of God. We know that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but God did not impute to him any unrighteousness, what Romans chapter 4 tells us. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain of this possession? And so when Abraham asked that, God said to Abraham, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. You know, when God makes a promise, it will come to pass. And one of the things that I appreciate so much about going to Israel, and I love going to Israel, is because every time I go, I see the desert bloom even more and more and more and more. And the Bible says, and the desert will bloom. You know, when God puts his people where he intended them to be, he can release his blessing in the land. And that's God's covenant is for the Jewish people to be in the land of Israel at this time. And then God said, yes, but you and your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for the descendants after him. So this is the beginning of the Jewish people. Abraham and Sarah, they had Isaac, and then Isaac, he had twins, Esau and Jacob, and Jacob had the 12 patriarchs, and Jacob's name was later was turned to Israel. And so as you study the history of Israel, you'll find out that Joseph by his brothers was sold into slavery, but he ended up becoming the second in command of all of Egypt. And through that, God spared the Jewish people. And they remained in Egypt for 400 years. And as you know the story, after 400 years, they left Egypt, and that's where we get the book Exodus from. They made an exodus by the hand of Almighty God. And when you read about those plagues and those miracles that God did, it can only be God who got them out of Egypt and positioned them to go into the promised land. And then here in Amos chapter 9, verses 14, says, And I will bring my people back to Israel. And we're going to see here in a little bit, you know, the years that the temple was destroyed and Jerusalem was defeated. But I will bring my people, uh, my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and they will eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land that I have given, says the Lord your God. So I want to show you a slide here about what uh, the Echelon Valley was in 1920s. This country was and now is underdeveloped and underpopulated, and that was the report in 1921. But we know Israel became a state in 1948 and look at it today. Why is it that way? Because God's people are in God's land. 
And that's why it's so important that we, as the righteousness of God, take our position so that God can bless our land. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it. Ezekiel chapter 36, 34, and 35 says, They will say, This land was laid waste and has become like the garden of Eden. The cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fortified and inhabitable. Look at this again. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it. And they will say this land was once laid waste and has become like the Garden of Eden. The cities that were lying in ruin, desolated and destroyed, are now being fortified and inhabited. Here's Hula Valley in 1920. 1920, that's Hula Valley. They were having a lot of outbreaks of malaria because it was mosquito infested. Here's Hula Valley today. Isn't that something? Because God's people are experiencing God's covenant. Here's Tel Aviv in 1909. Here's Tel Aviv today. I mean, just over 100 years. Why? Because God's people are in God's land. And so this is the scripture that we stand on because we, we, we are Zionists. It says, I will bless those who bless you, speaking of Abraham, and I will curse those who curse you, and in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Are we blessed? Yeah. Absolutely. Why? Because we are the seed of Abraham through Christ who was a Jew. Isn't that something? So our spiritual inheritance came from the Jewish, the, the Jewish people. But isn't it something that almost every generation, when you begin to study, even biblically and even politically, you begin to study the history of Israel, you'll find out almost every generation, someone rose up to, destroy, to, to try to destroy the Jewish people. It's called the He Shiamadah. And that is a prayer that they pray because they know that every generation they're praying for the protection of whoever's trying to destroy the Jewish people at that particular time. And it, and, this, and it is this covenant that has stood for our forefathers and us. For not only one arose and tried to destroy us, but in every generation they tried to destroy us. And the Holy One, blessed be, he saves us from their hands. And so the first real understanding of the destruction of Israel came in Ramsey too, when Joseph was the uh, second in command of Pharaoh. In fact, the Bible says that Pharaoh was like a son to Joseph. Isn't that something how God, you know, raised up Joseph and took him out from tragedy and put him in triumph? Is God any respecter of persons? Absolutely, he's not any respecter of persons, you know. And so we see that Ramsey was the first king. He says, I don't know who Joseph is. I don't know who the children of Israel are. And so he began the first emphasitism, and that is a form of abortion, and that is let's destroy all the male Hebrew children when they're born. But it says here, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, look, the people of children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And so that's the, one of the th biblical things that we see of God trying, I mean the enemy trying to destroy the people of Israel began all the way back in Genesis. And then we see in 587 the destruction of the first temple 
by the Babylonians. Jeremiah prophesied, as my wife shared this last Thursday, he, she, he prophesied for 40 years. Hey, listen, get your life right. Repent. Nation, get, get right. Get right with God. Let's have revival around here because if you don't, there's going to be a major destruction. And this was that destruction. In 587 B.C. was the destruction of the first temple and uh, taken over by the Babylonian Empire, which is now the Persian Empire. And though we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and weaknesses in high places, how many of you know that maybe some of these nations don't exist today, but the Spirit still does? There's a spirit of Antichrist that wants to destroy the Jewish people. And if they can destroy the Jewish people, listen to me, if they can destroy the Jewish people, they will go after the church next. And so we see also here, and we see this in the Bible, 40, 47, uh, 473 B.C., where Haman, he got mad because Mordecai would not bow down to him. How haughty is that, you know, since? But no, he wanted to destroy the whole Jewish race. But if you study the book of Esther, you'll see a couple things there that we like to glean from, and that is for such a time as this, I was born. Esther said, if I perish, I perish. But you know, Mordecai told Esther, he said, Esther, he said, if you don't rise up, God will raise somebody else to save the Jewish people. That's how much confidence that they have in their God. I remember one time when we were over in Israel and uh, our, our tour guide was Mati and uh, he had been in the six-day war and uh, he was telling us, you know, how God did some miraculous things for them during the six-day war, you know. And I just said to Mati, I said, Mati, that's so incredible how God did that. He goes, well, what do you expect, Tom? We're Jews. And turned around and walked away. And I thought, well, how arrogant. But then the Lord checked me. He said, you know, that's the kind of confidence I want you to have in me too. Knowing that if God before you, who can be against you? And we know that God used Queen Esther. We also see some symbolism of God using Queen Esther because, you know, she was married to the king. And we know that the church is the bride. And, and we know that Jesus is our bride's groomsman. And we know that there's going to come a day that, you know, he's going to lift his scepter out to the bride and he's going to bless us. But you know what? King Asherah, he couldn't give her the whole kingdom because the two kingdoms hadn't come together, the Jewish and the Christian. But I'm here to tell you the scepter is raised again by the king of kings. And he's saying to the bride, come on in. Not only half of the kingdom will I give you, but the whole kingdom I will give you. And that's why Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so then, you know, uh, as history unfolded, the Romans came in and they destroyed uh, the second temple that was rebuilt by Nehemiah. Nehemiah went back uh, by the blessing of the king and he went back in and, and, and rebuilt the temple and Israel got reestablished. But Rome came in and they destroyed the temple and occupied the land. And so it was, it was pretty much occupied the land during that particular time. And what a lot of people don't understand is this, and that is the word Palestine actually comes from the word Philistine. And uh, when the Romans kept on rebelling, I mean, the Jews kept on rebelling against the Romans, the Romans came in and said, look, if you don't quit rebelling against us, we're going to rename this land. We're not going to call it Israel anymore. We're going to call it the Philistines land, or that's where we get the word Palestine from. And so that was a great insult to the Jewish people to live in a land that God had given them 
with, but renamed by their arch enemy called the Philistines or what we call today the Palestinian Territory. And I like to say it like this. A lot of people ask, well, you know, there's a, there's a Palestinian-Israeli conflict going on. Not really. There is a terrorist-Israeli conflict going on. Because there are 750 Arabs considered Palestinians who live in Israel. There are citizens of Israel. Some of them have been elected to parliament. Some of them are judges. Some of them work in emergency service, such as fire departments and police departments. They go to school there. They live there. They thrive there. And they want to stay there as Palestinian Israelis. And there's no conflict there. There's 150 Palestinians who go into Israel every day to work and get their living. And when you talk to some of those Palestinians, which I had the privilege of doing this last time when I went to Bethlehem. He said, please go back and tell your people that the Palestinians want to be at peace with Israel because our livelihood comes from when there's peace because then you tourists come over here and you buy things from our store. And so that's why they want peace because their livelihood comes from Israel being at peace. But unfortunately, terrorist organizations like Hamas and Hezbollah have gotten into these particular territories and they rule it, which is really controlled by Iran. And I'll get to that in just a moment. So anti-Semitism began to manifest in Europe in 2095. And a lot of people, uh, 10,000, not 2,000, uh, 1,095. A lot of people don't realize that, but we maybe you studied, maybe it's not in history books anymore, but I, I studied it, uh, the cru- uh, Christian Crusade Wars. Remember those? And that was the purpose of Christians coming from the European countries and driving out the Muslim nations or Islamic religion from the Palestinian area uh, 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 territory. But what a lot of people don't understand is that that particular time there was such a misconcept about Jews that were beginning to rectify at this particular time that they destroyed Jewish people also along the time of their conquest. And then in 1492, you know, we say, you know, Columbus sailed the oceans of blues, and that's when America was founded. But actually, in 1492 was the uh, finale of Spain making a law saying, if you don't convert convert to Catholicism, Catholicism, you will be killed or you have to be exported. And so a lot of Jews went into, ex, uh, uh, went into exile at that particular time. And a lot of people aren't aware of that. And something that, um, you know, we, we will learn here in just a minute, something that Columbus said, he said, the year that the Jews were exiled, that was 1492. And then about that particular time, we began to experience the Protestant movement or the Reformation movement by Martin Luther. How many have ever heard of Martin Luther? Okay, for, 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 you know, because of Martin Luther, many of us are Protestants today. Let me get to my notes here real quick. But, um, you know, one of the things that Martin Luther did was he wrote a book because he had such a, you know, seemingly hatred for the Jews, which didn't make sense at the time. But these are just a few quotes from Martin Luther's book about Jews. First, set fire to their synagogues and schools and bury and cover with dirt whatever will not be burned so that no man will ever again see a stone or a cinder of them. This is to be done in honor of our Lord and Christendom so that God might see that we are 
Christians. This is what was adopted as a result of the Reformation movement, and the largest Reformation movement happened in Germany. And we know what happened in Germany, and we'll go over that here in just a moment. Second, I advise that their houses also be burned and destroyed. I also advise that the rabbis be forbidden to teach on pain or loss of life. We must act like a good physician who, when gangrene has set in, proceeds without mercy to cut, saw, and burn flesh, veins, bones, and marrow. Such a procedure must also be followed in dealing with the Jews. And the next 65,000 words, uh, he just pours out a vile hatred for the Jews. But the good news, in 1994, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America released an apology concerning um, you know, Martin Luther's uh, uh, thoughts on the Jewish people. Why did he believe that? Well, who was it that crucified Jesus? Well, we know the Romans did it, but who's the one who had the mock trials? Who's the one who set him up? Well, obviously the Jews, but he came for the Jewish people first. You know, we're not holding them accountable. It was prophesied that he would be crucified. You know, we shouldn't hate people fulfilling prophecy, even though we would like to have seen all of them get saved and all of them receive Christ, but many of them didn't. And this is what I feel like the Lord showed me because I asked one day because I spent a lot of times with Jewish people. They love God. And many of them are my friends. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. They know Jesus is coming back. And we kid each other. We go, you know, when he comes back, we're going to look at each other and we're going to ask him this question. Is this your first time or your second time? And then we're going to look at each other and say, I told you I was right, you know. But we both love the same Lord. We both have the great anticipation of him coming back. We're all anticipating that and wanting that. But you know what? If Jewish people's eyes weren't blinded to the gospel, then who would have been raised up to fulfill prophecy in Israel to be born as a state again? Would there have been a need for that? Would there have been a purpose for that? If all the Jews got converted at the time that Jesus was here, then Israel wouldn't have had to become a state again. They had to know that there was Jewish people who were going to stick to their conviction, to their Judea roots, their Judea religion, so that Israel could be born again. And why is that so important to us? Because Jesus said, hey, watch Israel. It's kind of like the fig tree. Watch Israel. That will tell you about the signs of the last day. So we need to be watching Israel. And they love God, and, and, uh, and, 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 we, and we love them. And so, yes, there was a misunderstanding uh, for many, many years, and this is why Jewish people are skeptical of Christians. You know, they're skeptical, number one, because we want to get every, we want to win everybody to the Lord. I'll never forget one time I was coming back from Israel, and I was uh, sitting next to a Jewish man, and he said, why is it that you guys have this intense passion to win us to Jesus. I said, well, we're commanded to go in all the world, you know, and preach the gospel to every creature. I said, that's what we're commanded to do. I said, just like, you know, you have some commandments, you know, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yes, we have that commandment. I said, well, we have some commandments too. That's in what we call the New Testament. He said, well, that makes sense to me now. That's what we're commanded to do. But you know what? They have many years, every generation since Ramsey, someone rose up to persecute them. And unfortunately, in this particular situation, it certainly looks like the church was at fault for their persecution. And so in 1821 and, 19, uh, and, and 1906, there was a great massacre that took place 
uh, I believe over 700,000 Jews were slaughtered during that particular time. We don't hear much about that. Uh, no, 70,000, 250,000 Jews were killed in that particular massacre. And then also because of anti-Semitism that was going on at that particular time, uh, you know, the, the Nazi revolution uh, uh, arose. And this is where Hitler got a lot of his information from, was from Luther's teaching on the hatred of Jews. But you know, today, there's a larger manifestation of anti-sentimentism than ever before, even before World War II. But it's been disguised and packaged in a different package. And most people aren't aware of it. It's on our campuses. It's all over. And a lot of people are not aware of that anti-sentimentism. And so we know that in the Holocaust, six million Jews were uh, slaughtered because why? They were Jews. If you go to Israel with me, and I hope someday that you do, you know, we will go to the Holocaust Museum, and this is one of the things that you'll see there. You'll see uh, this pit that's just full of thousands of, uh, of shoes. It's a moment for me, and uh, it's really hard for me not to walk, walk by and just, you know, weep so deeply in my heart because I think, what was their crime? They were Jews. Doesn't matter how old, how young, whether a male or female, their crime, according to the German people at that particular time, was they were Jews and they were killed for it. But yet God still had a plan, didn't he? Amen. You know, and we always know there's a silver lining in every cloud, or as we would say, you know, all things work out for the good of them that love God are called according to his plans and purposes. And in 1948, Israel became a nation again. And that's the beautiful thing about it. God fulfilled his promise in 1948. We had a, uh, uh, we did in our men's group um, that we meet on Friday morning, we did a teaching or we did the Israel course during that particular time. And one of the men came up with this particular thought, and I thought it was a pretty good thought. He said, you know, Harry Truman was the last one, and he was the deciding vote for Israel to become a nation and Harry Truman was from Missouri. Maybe that's why us Missourians are so blessed. What do you think? Amen? I like that thought. I, thought, I think that's a wonderful thought. So Isaiah 66, 8 says, Who has heard of such a thing? Who's ever seen things like this? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Here's Israel before the uh, Six-Day War right there. And you can see these huge landmass of nations next to it, and it looks really, really tiny compared to all of them. But this next slide over here, here is Israel after the war. In six days, they captured that much geographical land. Now, what a lot of people don't understand was when Israel, uh, when they were structuring Israel to become a nation, you know, they only gave Israel about 80% of what they really originally were going to give Israel in the Palestinian area. But the Israelites were okay. They said, just give us something. And so then there was some more conflicts going on between the Arabs and the, uh, the Jewish people at that particular time. And this is when Britain began to back out, shrugging their shoulders, saying, well, we're not sure what we want to do or if we want to be a part. And so they didn't get nearly what originally uh, some of the treaties that were when they first started to uh, uh, you know, develop Israel as a particular nation. But you know what? The Jewish people said, we'll be satisfied with anything. Why? Because little is much when God's in it. Amen?
So we know there were three no's there, and part of the problem with that is that, you know, the Arab people there, they weren't called Palestinians at that particular time. The Palestinians didn't become a group people until 1968, and that's when they began to call themselves Palestinians. And so as a result, they are now in refugee camps, you know, where Gaza is and where the Golden Heights or the West Banks are, you know. And so people say, well, there is a border uh, a, a border conflict between, you know, the state of Israel and the state of Palest- Palestine. No, the Palestinians are refugees. So what's, what's the problem with that? Well, when you have refugees, like when we have the Afghanistan refugees coming to America, you know, the first generation is sponsored by the United Nations. They get paid to go to a new nation to help get reestablished. And then the next generation absorbs in that particular nation they went into. Isn't it something that none of these other Arab nations wanted these Palestinian Arabs to come into their nation. Something's wrong with that. Some of them wanted to stay because, yeah, they had developed their land there. And yes, in any type of situation when a nation's born, you know, and birth and things like that, sure, there's nothing that's going to be done perfect. But the bottom line is that they're still dealing with refugee camps, not a nation. And the reason why the UN will not acknowledge the Palestinians as a state is because the Palestinians will not recognize Israel as a state. That's the only consensus they have to do. They have to acknowledge that Israel has a right to exist as a state, but it comes from these three no's. No, we're not going to give them the right to exist. We're not going to acknowledge that. Well, I'm sorry, but who's suffering? The innocent Palestinian people are suffering as a result of terrorist-controlled areas uh, in the Palestinian area. So so Israel, uh, they, they fight for peace, and they still fight for peace today. Here are some of the wars that they've been in. Got the Six-Day War, the War of Attrition, the Yom Kippur War, uh, the First Lebanon War. The Yom Kippur War, I think, is probably one of my favorite wars because what was happening at that particular time, if you get to go to the Golan Heights, it's a great big, tall kind of bluff area. And uh, the Syrians occupied that at that particular time. And there was an Israeli farmer down in the valley. And the uh, Syrian uh, army used to kind of just harass him. They would take tanks and shoot shells at him just to harass him, not to kill him, but just to harass him. And so when this particular war broke out, what they didn't realize is that every Israeli, when they're out of high school, is required to sign up for what we call the draft today. They have to serve for two years. And then after that, you're required to be a reservist. Well, this particular farmer was a tank brigade reservist that they were taking pot shots at. And so anyway, so when the war officially broke out, he took his tank up into the Golan Heights, parked his tank, knocked out three or four uh, uh, of the Syrian tanks, went somewhere else, knocked out five or six more of the Syrian tanks, went somewhere else, knocked out a few more. And finally, Syria decided that Israel had disguised all their tanks in the Golan Heights and they were overran. And this one guy defeated 150 Syrian tank brigade. Does that sound like God to you? Sounds like God to me. I tell you what, that's just another miracle of God. The last time I was over in Israel, and I thought this was so interesting, but I was with a friend, or one of the last times I was with a friend, and as we were going to Golan Heights where all these beehives, these, you know, these man-made areas where they were cultivating bees, you know, and I was just thinking, why are they have bees up here? And I reached over to my friend and I said, you know what, these bees have something to do with some type of military procedure. And he looked at me like I had fallen off a rock. 
And so anyway, when I got back home, I found out that the Israelis had learned to train bees to be sensitive to gunpowder. And so the Golan Heights full of flowers, but the Golan Heights is full of landmines. And so they follow these bees that they've trained to be sensitive to gunpowder. And so these bees will go to where these landmines are, and this is how they discover where the landmines in the Golan Heights are. Who would have thought of something like that? You know, only God does things like that. So these are some of the wars that, that they were on. So, O oh God, do not remain silent. Do not turn a deaf ear. Do not stand aloof, O oh God. See how your enemies growl, how your foes rear their heads. With cunning, they conspire against your people. They plot against those who cherish. Come, they say, and let us destroy them as a nation so that Israel's name will not be remembered anymore. So that was prophesied there, you know, in Psalms 83, 1 through 4. And so now we're getting into the terrorist control area, Hamas, and the area of Gaza. And the sad thing about the Gaza Strip is this, is that when Israel finally uh, conceded to go ahead and give land for peace, which has never worked out, probably will never work out again. It doesn't work out that way. You got to have a mindset change before peace can really work out, you know, in a situation like that. But nevertheless, when, when they did that, Israel left them with millions of dollars of agricultures and industry that the Palestinians could just go in there and begin to develop their nation. And the Palestinians destroyed it all. You know, and so when they said, well, Israel controls our water, Israel controls this, Israel controls that, well, there might be a little bit of truth of that in order to protect Israel, but the bottom line is that why did you destroy everything that Israel gave you to cause you to be a prosperous nation? We don't know the answer to that. And so these are some of the things that, are, that go on in, in some of these territories. And so there's that terror group there that are guilty of countless suicide bombings, kidnappings, rocket attacks against Israel. And they have an estimated of 20,000 rockets in their arsenal. But what's interesting is that, you know, Hezbollah is over in Lebanon. And before the Iranian nuclear deal took place with America and the United States, they knew Hezbollah had about... Uh, let's see, at 20,000 uh, rockets also. But after the uh, $1.5 billion was given to Iran by the United States, they now know that Hezbollah has 150,000 rockets that they want to use against Israel. And so, uh, but the nice thing about that particular uh, nuclear, uh, Iran nuclear deal that happened is the fact that because of this, some of the other Arab nations that don't want Israel or don't want Iran to have a nuclear weapon have now made a peace agreement with Israel, such as the UAE, Morocco, uh, Egypt, um, Saudi Arabia is looking at this particular peace deal. And uh, one of the, the Jewish friends of mine said it was the first time they could go to uh, Saudi Arabia as a Jew and not be persecuted because of these particular peace deals. So, you know, all things do work good, work for the good of them that love God. So then you have the Palestinian authorities here responsible for numerous terrorist attacks against Israeli civilians using the foreign aid to pay terrorists uh, who maim or murder innocent uh, civilians. They teach hate in their state schools, uh, sponsor schools, and in the media. But how many of you remember what we call the Taylor Forest Act? Um, anybody remember what that is? 
So what did the Taylor Force Act do? It stopped our tax dollars from funding terrorist acts in Israel. That's exactly what it did. And the law got drafted through representatives from Christians United for Israel. And then so then through the action alert, having everyone's emails, a lot of people got emailed, hey, would you contact your congressman? Would you contact your senator on supporting this particular bill? Because why should our tax money go to a terrorist organization? And that particular law got passed. Well, that's what 10 million people can do. Well, we're up to 11.5 million people. We have more people, more members in Christians United for Israel than Israel has population. What a tremendous friend for the Israeli people. And you could become that friend to Israel too if you wanted to join Christians United for Israel. You said, well, pastor, don't we support them as a church? We absolutely do. But you know, when you join Christians United for Israel, you will get these type of alerts. You'll get emails. You'll, get the, you'll, you'll find out daily what goes on. Uh, recently, there was a terrorist attack in Tel Aviv, and I, knew that, I know that was on some public news outlets. I don't think it was on all of them, but on, on public news outlets. But this last week, I think that I got three or four different emails of three or four different attacks against the Israeli people. Why? Because they're Jews. And that shouldn't be anymore. Anti-Semitism is as highest than ever has been. It's been propagated through the news media. It's being propagated through uh, college campuses. It's being propagated even in some high schools. One of the things that Christians United for Israel has been able to do is that we went down to Jefferson City and we passed the anti-BDS law. What is BDS? It's boycott, diverse, and sanction. There are some people who feel like they want to hurt Israel by not supporting them economically, you know, and so, but you know, Israel always finds a way around that. The last time I was in Israel, you know, they were supporting, I think, uh, supplying 25% of the agriculture to Europe, and all of a sudden, this BDS movement rose up. See, anti-Semitism in a different Different, uh, a different face mask, a different disguise here, you know, and uh, so it rose up. And so what do they do? Well, they got 700,000 Palestinians that live in, Air, in, in Israel, so they got one of the Palestinian businessmen to export their fruit now. So they're still not losing anything. It's just a harassment. And so this is one of the things that I believe as a Christian that we have the right to do, not only through prayer, but by organizing together because there is strength in numbers. And that is to rise up and say, no, we're not going to allow anti-Semitism in Israel. We're not going to allow it in our nation. We're not going to allow it in our church. And because if they, they can get away with it with the Jews, I promise you, the church is next. Amen. Amen. And so this is why, this is why we support here you know, a family worship center, uh, Christians United for Israel. But I'm going to implore, uh, implore you today and ask you that if you're not a member, would you go ahead and take a pledge card and sign up and become a member? Even though we support it as a church, I'm not asking you to support them on a regular basis as, a, as an individual, but if you'd like to, uh, we would, we, I, I would endorse that. But also, secondly, we go to Washington every year, Washington, D.C. Why do we go to Washington? Because we remind our Congress, your Congress, your senators, hey, it's very, very important to stand with Israel. The last thing that we're doing here is in the state, and that is that we have just passed a law called the Holocaust Remembrance Education. In other words, we passed a law that all the public schools have to remember and teach that the Holocaust existed in history. 
that is now being come, becoming a law in Missouri. And we are asking our governor to sign in remembrance of Holocaust proclamation. You know, there are people who say the Holocaust never existed. There are people in America who say the Holocaust never existed. There are people who are anti-Semitic because they don't know, know any difference. This, maybe that's the way they're taught. There are still churches today who are not pro-Israel, anti-Semitic. You know, and this is what we do is we allow and we take pastors to Israel every year. We take students to Washington, D.C., and some of them to Israel. Heaven's been there. Destiny's been there. Uh, we're taking high school school students to Israel this next year. I've already told some of the parents who have high school students, be sure to get on the webpage and apply for that. If you have high school students, if you have college students, grandchildren that are college students or high school, hey, tell them to go to the webpage, you know, and apply for this free scholarship to go to Washington, D.C. But if you can make it this year and go to Washington, D.C. with us, the more the better, you know. And when 5,000 of us show up on the hill in Washington, D.C., that's the first time you'll see people stand together and salute an organization because we have become a move of God that can't be reckoned with. Amen? I'm so glad that you help us support Christians United for Israel. Did you learn something from about this particular presentation? All right. Well, thank you so much for allowing me to do that. Thank you for so much for bearing with our technical difficulties. Uh, but it's a training zone for all of us. Amen? Amen. So, ushers, at this particular time, if you'd pass out a pledge card, and we are going to go ahead and receive our missions offering. If you want to do a regular missions offering and you want to do something special for KUFI, just mark on there what you're going to do special for KUFI. We are going to send a special offering to KUFI to help bring the Jews from Ukraine. And they're not just being there to be protected. They are moving there as immigrants. They are making a permanent uh, location. Also, we'll be sending a special offering to Rufus Wynott, who is doing uh, humanitarian relief for all people from Ukraine. And so he's doing a great job. He's been a friend of mine and been in the mission field for many, many years out of Romania. And he's doing a great job there. So we're going to do something special this, this month, you know, to help the innocent people who are being victimized by this particular war. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We believe God's Word is what will sustain us in any situation in our lives. For more information, please visit us at familywc.org or you can download the app. Look for us as FWC Como. Until the next time, remember, you are God's best.